Okay, Chelsea, we're going to go over at least two of these. Do you want good news or bad news first? Bad news first. Do you want to hear about climate events or do you want to hear about judicial proceedings? Let's do judicial proceedings. I've had enough climate for one day. Okay. Have you been following the story of Julian Assange? Kind of. Like I know vaguely what's going on. You know who he is, right? Yeah. Okay. For those of you who do not, Julian Assange is the creator of WikiLeaks. It is a very controversial journalist website, I guess is a good way to describe it, where people can anonymously upload files that are from things that people don't necessarily want out, usually in the sense of whistleblowers. Yes. Its big claim to fame was video that got leaked by now named Chelsea Manning. I can't remember her original name, but she transitioned to female. So probably best not to dead name her anyways. Yeah. Which basically, among many other things during the Afghanistan wars, showed the U.S. Army opening fire on journalists in the area. Anyhow, Chelsea Manning has suffered huge repercussions because of this. WikiLeaks is still up and running. And it's not just about America, it's about many different places in the world that have very many documents leaked to it to make sure that all information can be spread out throughout the world so that there's nothing secret. That's at least its mandate. Julian Assange, very controversial character. He is loved and hated by many, but he for a long time was living in the Ecuadorian embassy in the UK because he was facing extradition charges in the UK to Sweden for a sexual assault allegation where during a sexually consenting event, Actions proceeded to a point where the woman was no longer consenting and in Sweden constitutes a sexual assault. Hmm. This was like... This was a long time ago. Like, this is a decade ago. Yeah, okay. For a long time to avoid facing extradition charges because he believed that was a false front to get him to Sweden, which he would then be extradited to the US for leaking a lot of their information. Yeah. He hid in the Ecuadorian embassy. Um, A couple years ago... The UK Special Forces basically SWAT broke into the Ecuadorian embassy and apprehended him. He has been in a British jail cell for a couple of years now, facing possible extradition to the US because okay, Sweden has swi- Sweden has since dropped the charges. He's in Ecuador in a US emb- uh, in a British embassy. He was in UK, so London, yeah. in an Ecuadorian embassy. Okay. And basically, he lived in a very small building in one room for a long time, because if he left, he would be arrested. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought was happening. I thought he was in the UK, but then you said Ecuador, and I was confused. I know. That's that's kind of the weird part, is technically he's on Ecuadorian land, because he's in an Ecuadorian embassy. Okay. Anyhow, he was put in jail, facing extradition to the US for espionage charges, because they are purporting at least in the U.S., that he helped Chelsea Manning to hack into the U.S. Department of Defense database to be able to get this document that they then uploaded to WikiLeaks. For a long time, that was not standing up. But as of December 10th, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange moved a step closer to facing criminal charges in the United States for one of the biggest ever leaks of classified information after Washington won an appeal over his extradition in an English court. I mean, I get why it's classified. It was the U.S. opening fire on journalists. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I should say there is more to it than just that. 
Yeah. The biggest argument against Julian Assange is he puts people in danger. Nobody has ever been killed due to a leak on WikiLeaks. Yeah. And you know what? In a society where there's so many secrets, I believe we need something like that. Like you need a good whistleblower every now and again. Yeah. But what happened is basically there was a ruling out of England that originally they couldn't extradite Assange to the US because the charges he faced had a maximum sentence of execution. Executions are not a form of punishment allowed in the UK. So they're not actually allowed to extradite people if they could be executed for He's seriously action. facing execution if he it goes to the United be, States? I, he could be. It's highly unlikely. But he's likely to spend the rest of his life in prison because of this. Yeah. So the original ruling was that he couldn't be extradited because of that. But the appeal court recently said that he could be extradited. Oh, no. We need people like that, though. Like, or else there's all these things that we don't know that all these sneaky companies and people are doing. We need better divulging of information. Mm -hmm. uh, too much of it is held by a small group of people. I do yeah. agree with that. Don't necessarily agree that we need Julian Assange. We just need more open communication. Exactly. I'm not saying Julian Assange. We need yeah, like and whistleblowers he, and a place a for very, them to be able yeah. to talk. Speak. But he has not yet been extradited to the US. There are still, again, he can appeal it to the next level, which be, would be, sorry, I need to think back to law school days. Uh, it's not the Privy Council, what's below the Privy Council. Um, anyhow, there is a level above the appeal court that he can appeal to. And this is a very public event, so I would be surprised if there's not a level above it. He has never looked like he's been in great shape, having like lived in one room for the last decade and a half. Yeah. But uh, that's one we might be able to give you an update on in a week's time. And I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention. I mean, it's like he's already in prison, I he's guess. He's been in prison for a long time now. And especially the prison he's in in the UK he was basically in solitary confinement for the last two to three years. Yike. So it's not like it was exactly great situation for him there either. But this no. also sets a horrible precedent for the US where it is perfectly okay to prosecute a journalist for publishing a controversial story. Yeah. Which is one step closer to tyranny. That is the Julian Assange portion of the story. Okay. Let's get on to a little bit of more exciting news. Okay, I'm ready for As that now. As of the release of this video, the James Webb Telescope should now be up in the sky orbiting Earth. Did it in just that, go up? On December 22nd, it will be launched into space, replacing the Hubble Space Telescope as the new big fancy mirror in the sky. Oh, isn't Hubble like long gone? Hubble's still there. It's just very old at this point. Basically, science has gotten to a point where it needs to answer more questions that Hubble yeah. wasn't designed to answer, nor was the technology there at the time. So James Webb will go up. It is just massive, and it was started in 1996. They've been building it for 25 years now. Well, it's, uh, it's old technology now. <laughs> well, they've been building it the whole time, advancing the technology, was, it's, which is why oh, okay. it took so long, maybe. I don't know. Anyhow, it's just a ridiculously expensive telescope. I am very jealous that NASA gets to play with it, and I don't. And it has very fundamentally different things that it's going to be looking at compared to Hubble. It's going to be looking at the oldest stars in the known universe to see what the primordial universe looked like just immediately after the Big Bang. How does it and look at that? 
it's basically going to be looking at uh, the infrared radiation that's being emitted throughout the universe because that theoretically is what the oldest radio signals in the universe are going to be coming from. Oh. And also, interestingly enough, I saw this on the Wikipedia page. It is going to be sensitive enough that it's going to take a look at what's called Tabby Star. And I believe we talked about Tabby Star in the Fermi Paradox episode. Do you remember that? That's the one that's giving out the lights being interrupted by something. Is it? Is that it? Yeah. Every now and then on an incremental time period, the light dims way more than would be expected for any known reason. Some people have speculated that that means that some massive civilization is building a Dyson sphere around the star. So they're actually going to be able to more sensitively look at the star and see what's actually happening around it. That is exciting. So dollar figure on this is $9.7 billion spent by NASA to put uh, build this thing and put it into orbit. It is going to give us some absolutely fantastic photos of the universe that we were not able to see. I am very excited about it, and it will make our year-end wrap-up just to confirm that it is a successful launch. And when can we see its photos? I don't know for sure. It's going to depend because when Hubble was first launched, it actually had mirror issues. They had to send astronauts up to adjust the mirrors once it was in orbit. So if it is a perfect launch, it could be as fast as a week after it is launched. Just you know, to get some calibrating photos. If it's not, then it's really hard to say. We will watch for that. And it is giving Hubble a much needed break. It has done some great work in the discoveries that we need. The reason that we need satellite orbiting telescopes is because one of the biggest obstacles for Earth-based astronomy is getting through the um, atmosphere, which is very dusty. It actually blocks out a ton of light that, with sensitive equipment, makes it so it's very hard to do universe-level astronomy. However, that does mean it faces its own issues in space that sometimes are hard to predict. Oh, the Hubble was launched in 1990. Yeah, it's getting old. And are they leaving it there? It'll still do some work. And especially when it becomes auxiliary and it's not the main source of research, They actually do lend out telescopes for auxiliary research work, which means that we can do more fringe topic research in the sky. Are we going to rent it? Maybe we can rent it and just look at stuff. (laughs) But two things that we will keep you guys up to date on coming with the next episode. For now, let's get a little bit more festive as, again, this is a Christmas episode and we need to remember this. Yeah. From the unexplained to the candy caned, come join us on our holly jolly journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the only podcast out there that is a fifth dimensional choose your own adventure. If you would like a Christmas episode, please stay here. If you would like a concept of time episode, please proceed in a direction I cannot describe to the next dimension. I am one of your universal hosts, Taylor, along here with Chelsea. And today we are going to be talking about the one, the only red suited man who is a titan of industry. And that of course is Santa Claus. 
That's how you pronounce it almost exactly. Now, he is the social experiment of adults everywhere to prey on the malleable minds of children, at least as we are led to believe once we reach near our teen years. In this day and age, anyhow. In this day and age, yes. As we have been talking about the last few weeks, Santa holds a lot of his characteristics from previously existing characters, but that would lead you to believe that he is not, in fact, a real character. In many ways, yes, you are correct. But in a much more strange, fringy way, maybe you're not correct? It's interesting, that's for sure, when you put it that way. We are going to be talking today about sightings of Santa that abound throughout the Christmas practicing world. No, we are not talking about the Santas you will find in malls. We are not talking about that guy you met on the street who happened to be named Santa. Except in one event, I think. (laughs) It was just a coincidence that time. We are talking about bona fide sightings and touchings of the jolly red suited man. Not touchings. Oh, no touchings. Okay, sorry. That's a different episode where it gets a little dark. (laughs) What we are going to do is explain the concept of what's happening here, possibly, from a paranormal point of view. From there, we are going to talk about a bit of research that has been done into this topic. Finally, I think we're going to end this off with a few firsthand accounts of Santa Claus sightings. That's exactly what we're going to do. You set it up nicely. Oh, good. And with that, I am going to hand the reindeer reins. Over to my co-host, Chelsea. I hope I can handle it. Starting with Tulpa? Starting with Tulpa. What is a Tulpa? And keeping in mind, we did somewhat talk about this in our Spooky Lingo episode. Did we cover Tulpas? We did talk about it very briefly. I did not listen to that before we started this episode. We've had so many episodes by this point. Just to set up kind of what we're talking about which is theory of what this could be because obviously Santa Claus is a little bit of a modern day construct given the previous Christmas episodes that we did. Essentially a talpa is an object or a being that is created through spiritual or mental powers. They have thoughts, emotions, personality separate from their host and are sentient and independent. In Tibet, which is where the talpa originates, it's said that by meditating on a person or an animal, one may create ghosts of those peoples or animals. Tulpas can be created with a collection of thought with purpose. For this one, I think of Santa is a really good example of a tulpa. It's also a convenient example. Or accidentally and independently as you would find an imaginary friend with children who concentrate so hard on having something this can actually generate in some circumstances a tulpa. And these tulpas can be experienced by multiple people, not just the meditator or thought thinker, thinker, the thinker. A great spooky or creepy version of a tulpa that I like to look at is the Slender Man, which is fully a fabricated creature from the interwebs. Yes. However, there are real life reported encounters with the Slender Man. And even there was a murder trial in the US about a girl who was convinced to murder her friend due to a Slender Man. Yeah, there's a lot of good examples of tulpas, actually, that I came across in just even writing this definition so it might be cool to put onto our long list of episodes that we have that we want to do but for now i'm not saying tulpas are santas per se that are what i'm gonna read you maybe they are but this to me seems like one of the best ex 
explanations of the odd phenomenon that we're going to talk about. With that, we're going to be going on to some stories, and I'm breaking these encounters down into the good old first, second, third, fourth kind that we did in our very first episode. Yeah, our original episodes. And if you want a comparison of how much we have grown as podcasters, Please listen to this episode and then go back and listen to the original Close Encounters of the First, Second, and Third Kinds and just really appreciate that growth. It's immense. Trust us. We might even redo them one day or they can just stay there in all their glory. First, we have Close Santa Encounters of the First Santa Kind. If you need a refresher on what this is because it's been a long time since you've listened to the Encounters of the First Kind episode that we did way back in the lifespan of the Journey to the Fringe history, a close encounter or for our purposes right now with Santa or it. Do you think it would cover any paranormal being? Did we not talk about this in the cattle mutilation episode? First encounters of the first kind? We covered this at another point. I'm just trying to remember where. Where we described the encounters as basically falling into these three categories. But I would have to go back and listen to which episode that would be. No, we did UFO sightings for second, third. No, we definitely did. But at some point we went back while we were doing an episode, we said these types of encounters really fall into three. Oh, cryptozoology. Okay, I'll have to take your word because I don't remember that. Scientists, when they're looking at the discovery of a new creature, let evidence fall into three categories, just a sight, just auxiliary evidence of it, and a close-up touching or encounter with the creature itself. Yes. I didn't realize those were first, second, third encounters. But I guess when you put it that way. I do think we can break this one down at least into close encounters and claws encounters. Yeah, I think this would apply to pretty much all paranormal beings, except it's with extraterrestrials that you get those third and fourth, I guess. You get fourth encounters with Bigfoots as well. Yeah. Okay. And elves, actually. Oh, true, true. Yes. It definitely applies to paranormal. Okay. Breaking down boundaries here. First Claws Encounters of the First Kind are accounts of seeing Santa-like objects in the sky. These range from seeing a flying sleigh to pilots seeing strange lights in the sky. Now, just to start off while I'm talking about this, I have to give a shout out to a book that I read called Claws Encounters. Um, a lot of these stories you can find widely anywhere, but it really helped. And there's many more stories in that book. So I just wanted to shout that out here. So with the first clause encounters, there's lots of UFO encounters which happen around Christmas. I'm not really going to elaborate on them very much. I just want it to be known that there's UFO sightings around Christmas, as you would think there would be, just like any other day of the year. A large amount of Foo Fighters happen around the skies in Germany in the week leading up to Christmas. It also helped that they were colorful lights. Rendlesham Forest happened around Christmas. The first encounter happened in Christmas Eve. Just to name a few famous encounters. But of course, like I said, lots of other UFO encounters happen around this time too. And it's more just a special mention than anything really because obviously I'm doing Christmassy sightings here. But those happen on Christmas, Christmas Eve as well. So first story I have is Jimmy. Time frame, Christmas Eve, of course. Jimmy was about 10 years old and he was outside talking to his neighborhood friend at about 7.30 p.m. Christmas Eve, of course. They turn their attention to the sky when they hear faint bells 
to which they see a fast-moving craft and the sound of bells moving towards them quickly. That's when Jimmy and his friend watch a sleigh holding Santa and the reindeer cruise low over the houses of the neighborhood. When the boys realized what they were seeing, the craft simply disappeared. After running inside to tell their families, they were met with laughter, so they didn't tell anybody else, really. Except for when they recounted the story. They ended up losing touch with each other, as you do from childhood friends most of the time, until many years later when they meet up again and Jimmy decided to ask about the encounter that never really left him. His friend's reaction was, how could I forget? Next, Claw's encounter of the first kind. This one is from Reddit user Uncanny Valley Girl. She says, honest to God, I heard Santa slay on my roof. I was probably five or six Christmas night and I was solidly awake thinking about Santa, as you do at that age. My mother and father were dead asleep in the room snoring loudly. They did not have a radio in the room or television and our only neighbors were an ancient Italian couple with rough English and early bedtimes. I think it was around midnight. I heard hoofbeats on the roof above me and the sound of jingling bells. It was completely unmistakable. The weird thing about it is that I never believed in Santa. I was a skeptic from birth and would only accept that which could be proven to me. But this, this was weird. There was no way it could have come from an adjacent house. It was too loud and directly above me. I have no idea what happened that night. So that was Uncanny Valley Girl story of Reddit. And then I have one more for the first kind Santa Claus encounters. This witness grew up in Memphis, Tennessee in the 80s when he was about nine-ish years old. He was coming home with his parents from a Christmas party the night of Christmas Eve. When they all pulled into the driveway to their home, they saw Santa, but not just Santa Santa standing in the driveway. This was Santa in a sleigh hovering above the house. All they could hear was sleigh bells and the sleigh was illuminated so you could see everything in detail. The suit, the reindeer, everything. Santa waves and flies off into the night sky. With a twist in the story, the father was actually an air traffic controller who of course witnessed the whole thing and was in total shock of what he encountered. As an air traffic controller, he has certain privileges and accesses to air traffic control data to see if there is any unusual activity. There was not. Do you have any first encounter stories you'd like to add? No. In fact, I was going to add that Memphis one, but you definitely already <laughs> did that. Do you want to read it again? <laughs> no, I just deleted it. So we don't have to worry about that. Okay. I have another encounter, but it is a nice segue from Santa encounters of the first kind to Santa encounters of the second kind because it literally has both. Before I start the story, if you will remember from our close encounters of the second kind episode, the second kind is evidence left behind, which include but are not limited to strange boot prints, sleigh or deer tracks left in odd spots and mystery presents. Just a side note, I did not include any mystery presence and I tried to stay away from random just Santa sightings in the living room because I was like, most of these are kids. Let's be honest. Yeah, and that's the hard part, really. Anybody that's saying basically I have a distinct memory of Santa, 
before I was five. You have to at least question their cognitive ability at that point. Yeah. And I do. I tried my best to stay away from stories like that. Just be aware these are a part of the phenomenon that we're talking about. Mystery presence as well. People can swear up and down that they don't know where this present came from. Could have been a neighbor. Could have been a parent that's not, that's really committed to the story. So I left those out. They could, for all I know, just be complete Santa miracles. But just for the purpose of this podcast, I like to stick to the paranormal clause because it makes it spookier that way okay here i go christmas eve 1976 jason and his mom were spending christmas alone as jason's father had accepted a new job out of state jason was five and slept in his mom's bed that night when they were both awoken in the middle of the night to a loud noise on the roof just an aside here i would be so freaked out if this happened and I don't know how they get up and look out the window I don't know that I would do that if I heard such a commotion his mom went to investigate and warn Jason to stay back she moved cautiously towards the window where she froze like she was in shock Jason asked her what she saw then what was on the roof in fear that it was a burglar but he was also five so he thought there was a possibility it might be Santa so he goes towards his mom. The mom just stares out the window in a daze, and he joins her at that point at the window where they both watch Santa, a sleigh, and reindeer. They even heard the bells jingling, and Santa jumps into his sleigh, and they fly off into the night sky. Jason kept the story secret, for a while anyway, until high school, where students were to share Christmas stories in German class, so it seemed like as good as time as any to share his sighting of Santa. And high school kids are also known for their acceptance of these things. One thing that I find very odd with, especially our cultural view of Santa flying off into the distance. Yeah. That is not the most efficient way to deliver presents. What do you think is the most efficient way? Go to the neighbor's house. True. And then the next neighbor's. Yeah. And then the next neighbors. Do you think he hits a block and then like runs back to the sleigh? And apparently he doesn't. Apparently he just flies off to the next town and then comes back and does the neighbor. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem efficient. But if the sleigh goes that fast, who can control it? Also, I forgot to add in that last story with the air patrol. I did like how Santa just like waved at them mockingly. <laughs> it wasn't mockingly. It didn't say that. But I can only imagine it was mocking. <laughs> He really should have just yelled something insane out as well. Because yeah. nobody's going to believe him anyways. He should have. That's only something I think me and you would do, though. Okay, so here he is talking about his close encounter with Santa Claus in German class in high school. This is the only Christmas story that comes to mind for Jason to share in high school. So he shares his encounter and the class laughs obviously. Anyway, it goes on. A kid he had never seen before approaches him after class and says to him, that was a great Christmas story. If one truly believes he may at one time in his life experience what you have experienced. He never sees that kid again. So it was probably Santa. Just kidding. I just added that in. But like, what else would he be? An elf? An angel? Both air traffic controllers and I think industry at large are under the thumb of Big Santa and they do secretly allow for the free exploitation and trade of elves throughout the air. Yeah, 
I mean, it's getting a little bit sinister. It would have to be sinister, though. Santa, he makes the stores a lot of money, even though he makes his own presents. So I guess he would have to be paying someone off. I would assume at least a small portion of the elves have to be able to manufacture money if they need to. You do need that. <laughs> I need an elf. I'm going to Iceland, bringing back some rocks. Free the elves. <laughs> See, I still think those elves are different than the elves that we talked about with Santa. The, the Hilden folk, they're, uh, they're, they're different. I, I, I just have trouble believing that Santa has enslaved the unwashed children of Eve. Yeah, I don't know if I want to mess with those guys. You think that's what God intended after that? That's probably it. You're going to go work for this guy. You're g- <laughs> you belong to Santa. <laughs> that and I know we just had an episode that Santa is a new social construct, but he also goes back to Adam and Eve. Yeah. <laughs> At least Odin does. Yeah. So there we have it. Breaking news on Journey to the Fringe. Yeah, that actually explains a lot when it comes to Viking folklore with Odin and his relationship with the dwarves and the elves and why they just keep building him things despite the fact that he doesn't pay them and they kind of don't like him. Yeah, <gasps> slaves or elves. Because he has a weird agreement with God to have the dirty children. And air traffic controllers. <laughs> they come in eventually. I don't think they're from the start. <laughs> Probably not, no. So he never sees this kid again. After this weird experience, he decides to seek solace with his mom to recount the story. She relives the story again with all the details matching his, of course. She even goes on to say she investigated after and found no hoof prints in the snow, even though they heard hoofs of some sort. And that's that story. So there we have... Oh, maybe it wasn't a second kind. What tangible things do you... Oh, oh maybe it's a... I thought they specifically didn't see you. No, but maybe it's the encounter he had with that kid. So then it's a third kind or fourth kind. Anyhow, (laughs) let's pretend I didn't do that. Another short, close encounter of the second kind. A now grown-up man, name not included, so let's call him Doug Doug, recalls looking out Christmas morning to freshly fallen snow. To his surprise, he sees a set of footprints deeply imprinted in the snow on the roof, leading past his bedroom and right to the chimney, then another set coming from the chimney. The parents were just as baffled as the witness child was. So this beautifully named character... Did he rule out the idea of the, uh, oh, Black Peters. Let's call him Black Peters. He did not, but it didn't specifically say that. And I shortened the story down quite a bit. Okay. (laughs) So I cannot say for sure without talking to Doug Doug himself. Okay. But no, I assume as a child, he really didn't narrow basically anything down. I didn't think Doug Dugs could be made children. I thought they were just created as men. Yeah, they are. He was a tiny man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Also an elf. Do you have any? Okay, I'll finish this one. And one more for the second kind. A witness, about eight years old at the time. All these witnesses are children. (laughs) Horrible witnesses, by the way. A mom was preparing for Christmas morning on the eve before Christmas while he sat beside her and it was about 11.30 p.m. That's when it happened. He was up past his bedtime. A sharp and loud thump on the roof. He recounts, it sounded like a car landing on the roof. It was that loud and heavy. They lived in an A-frame house. 
with a very steep pitch and an eight-foot wall to reach the roof. Who would have been on the roof at this time of night anyway? Then they hear heavy stomps across the roof and down the other side to the chimney. So they run into the night to see what's going on. Nothing was there. The roof was covered in ice, so there was no way anyone was getting up there. And also no tracks or anything indicated that anything would have been up there. Also no car. Obviously, there's no explanation needed as to who the intruder was that night. Black Peters. Probably the Black Peters. Yeah. Any second second encounters? I do have one, yes. Okay. This was posted on one of our three source websites from an anonymous poster for the Christmas of 2006. I was coming home from my aunt's where we had a party. I was crying because one of my cousins told me that Santa wasn't real. Then we came around the corner of my street and there it was, a big red sleigh and reindeer sitting on my roof. And then Santa popped out the chimney. I told everyone the next morning to see if they could remember, but they couldn't. But a couple days ago, my dad went up to the roof to fix the leak and there were long straight lines across the roof. I took a picture and showed it to my baby cousins and told them, always believe. Hmm which is the tangible leaving of at least evidence in a theory. Again, these are, unfortunately, most of the stories we're going to see are from small, impressionable children. Yes. Except for Doug Doug, who was already a man. He was a small man. <laughs> I like what Uncomfortable Truth said about the air traffic controller tangent. In the beginning, there was air traffic controllers. For there was nothing but space, and things yes. need to fly through space, so you need to control it. And in the end, wasn't that what God did next? Yeah. Control space. Pretty much. He always has. Got the okay from air traffic control above the air <laughs> traffic control. Next up, close Odin encounters of the third kind. It's joking. It's still Santa. But these are actual run-ins with the big man himself. These are where it starts to get fun and creepy. So this witness, I can only assume it's a child, <laughs> had multiple creepy encounters. This is Claxton. First was 2002 in New York at a Christmas party, which was dying down and his family was watching a movie he was not interested in, so he left the room. Claxton was alone. He knew he was alone. Everyone was occupied watching this horrible movie he didn't want to watch. When he sees a tall, fat figure scurry about 20 feet away from him, and he was wearing a Santa suit, and he was afraid. And I just like the use of the word scurry over any other choice of word he could have made there. Scurry creeps me out. Anyhow, he reports this to his family, which jokes and laughs at him. As you do. <laughs> Claxton moves on with his life after being laughed at, and when two Christmases later, he has yet another encounter. Poor Claxton. I hope he's not scurrying this time. Claxton was hanging out on the couch when all of a sudden he saw a huge man about seven to eight feet tall crawl underneath the Christmas tree and prior to vanishing, sorry, <laughs> took me a minute to figure out what I was trying to say here. I said navishing. Prior to vanishing, this figure looks back to him and says, Shh. and I don't know what's going on with Claxton but there's literally another sighting. 2007, he says briefly for about two seconds or so, he sees Santa walk past him and disappear into thin air. I know what you're thinking. 
but it's the disappearing when he had eyes on him that gives it the paranormal quality to the sighting. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have even included it if he just walked past to Santa. That one is obviously just a regular guy. Do you have anything to add to that one? No, I quite like Claxton. I do have one I do feel is a close encounter by an adult, in fact, of the third kind. Okay. This was posted to Reddit, I believe, by a user by the name of Snowman on XTC. Oh, nice. Was it this was not a child? It always makes it sound more reputable when we're talking about Reddit usernames, hey? Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, Snowman XTC, being 37 at the time, I was a little old to believe in Santa. I had the faith he existed and felt in my heart he was real, but not physically real. Until I was in our parking lot dumping trash in the dumpster. Walking on the sidewalk, next to me was a chubby old man with long white hair and a long white beard, brown glasses, wearing a green flannel shirt, blue jeans, and red suspenders. He said, hello, Richard, as he passed. I said hi, and he kept walking. It wasn't until a few seconds later I realized I didn't know him, yet he knew my birth name. Which, in my view, implies that he goes by a different name, but it's not specifically mentioned. Yeah, that's what I would get from that. We did not wear name tags or anything. He wasn't a customer, but he knew. I watched him as he continued down the street, and as he came to the intersection, he did not stop to wait for the light to change. It just turned green and he walked out of sight. Weird, right? Yes, but it changed my mood knowing I wasn't nuts. You know, there's always the possibility that someone that he worked with was just like, hey, go out back and mess with Richard. <laughs> just go say hey. <laughs> well, and to be fair, there are people who carry around those cards in their wallet to be professional Santas just on the street. That happened to your child, did it not? In a home hardware? Yeah, it did. Where a man with white hair, big beard, handed Chelsea's child a card stating that I am in fact Santa. You should be good. I mean, I do pull out his business card every once in a while because it has his phone number on it. So I always say I'm going to call Santa. We really should have brought him on today. <laughs> we should have. We should have called him for that reason. But I mean, those Santas are enough to give me the creeps a little bit anyway, because like, who wants to do that in their spare time? And just to go back to your close encounter with Claxton, if a large imposing character who told you to shush, left a present under the tree, do you think you'd actually open it? Like there is something under the tree specifically labeled Santa that wasn't there the night before. Let's be honest. Of course I'm going to open it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I really wish at this point, no, it's too creepy. I'm not compromising myself in order to get a random present that is unknown. So please don't come visit me. Random eight foot tall Santa, even if you do have a present. At least three presents. Yeah. At least. And they gotta be good. Okay, time for another creepy one. These third kind Santa sightings are, I don't know, they're just, uh, to me that's creepy. Um, All of them. So here we have Anna, who is an adult. Just kidding, it's a child. <laughs> she hears something moving around in the living room Christmas Eve. She's obviously in bed. She goes to investigate, and as she's leaving her bedroom, she sees a man dressed like Santa standing in front of the Christmas tree. She says man dressed like Santa for a reason, because she says the vibration that the figure gave off was not Santa-like. He didn't look holly or jolly or kind and happy like you would expect Saint Nick to look. He looked more eerie than anything. Do you really expect Santa on his busiest day of the year to look holly and jolly? He's supposed to. I feel like he's going to be under a lot of stress. He's going to be sweaty because he is working freaking hard. 
Yeah. And he's going to have no time for interaction. So he is not going to bother. I mean, he does have time for cookies. <laughs> is he? Or are the parents secretly eating them before he gets there? You're right. And then it just pisses him off. Yeah. You're right. And then he's like, oh, this fucking kid isn't in bed yet. The parents had one job, two jobs. Don't eat the cookies and put your kids That's not even a real job. <laughs> it is a job to get a kid to bed. Not eat the cookies. No, putting a kid to bed is a job. Not eating the cookies isn't true. No, that's not a real job. I mean, you could say, ah, are there cookie testers in the world? That's the opposite. They're paid to eat the cookies. Right. Not paid. There's nobody that's paid to not eat the cookies. <laughs> You're right. Okay. No, there wouldn't be a job like that. He looked more eerie than you would expect Santa Claus to look. Much creepier than the Santa that waved from above the air traffic controller's St. Nick feels the presence of the little girl there and turns around to look at the girl and the stare seemed to bore right into her soul. So she runs off into her parents' bed, as you would. She often wonders if it wasn't a paranormal presence mimicking the look of Santa to her, which is a good point. And I wonder if that wasn't something going on with Claxton as well. Because who has more than one Santa encounter like that? Yeah. And at the end of the day, too, the idea of a tulpa, what if it is not just a paranormal figure who just decides to embody what people... Yeah. Because that's what bad presences do. They kind of take on whatever you're expecting. In which case, Christmas is a nice kind of cloak to be able to do that. And Claxton's encounters seem really dark as well. Because it's like slithering around and stuff. I mean, the Grinch slithered. Yeah, he slunked. He slithered and slunk, did he not? Yeah, he did. This is fresh in our minds. We just watched it last weekend. No, yeah, two days ago. It's very fresh. Okay, now we have Child Richard. In 1976, he's six years old. Christmas Eve, of course. And he's having Christmas Eve insomnia as he laid next to the Christmas tree that night. He did drift off at one point, but was abruptly awoken to a tree full of presents and a figure was bending over them. The figure was only about one to two feet tall and instead of a full figure, it was an outline that looked like the snowy static pictures of an old television that lost its signal. The figure stood there motionless, standing there for several minutes and disappeared with Richard rubbing his eyes. That one I found a little creepy, but I'm also wondering if maybe a TV wasn't on in the room somewhere. That's potential. Yeah. Also, I am curious if this would actually be a Nisa encounter. Yeah, because it's so small, right? Yeah. I would agree with that. That's why I included it. And plus, it's just kind of creepy, snowy static. I'm a little worried for little Richard's. Child Richard. No, I think little Richard's good. Yeah, that works too. It's interchangeable. Anyhow, I am worried about little Richard's livestock and whether or not he awoke to all of their tails tied together or all of the porridge in his house being gone. I hope he had porridge. That's a little bit like, and I'm surprised it didn't come up in our episode. That's a little like poltergeist activity. Like all the livestock's tails being tied together. See, I couldn't find an actual account of the tails being tied together, though. Oh. Like, that's just tales of what the Nisa could do. Okay. Next is Misty, also a child. Also could not sleep on Christmas Eve. And not only was she thinking about Christmas and if Santa existed or not, but how hot it was. 
and she was in Texas and thirsty. So she went out to get a glass of water. She opens her bedroom door to see someone bent over. Now, something I couldn't confirm is if it was far off or literally right at her door. I would love some context here, but he stands up and it's Santa. He's dressed in the usual red suit. However, Misty can see right through Santa and she could see the lights on the Christmas trees shining through him because he was translucent. He took the stockings off the mantle and placed them on the coffee table and she runs off to bed in the morning. In the morning, Misty and her sister find the stockings on the coffee table instead of on the mantle where they usually are placed, further convincing her of the encounter she had. Any third encounter clause? I do have one, yes. I did not record the name of this individual. We can make it up. Okay. Let's call this guy Balthazar. Okay, I like that name. It's very villainous. Yeah, and Balthazar also has a sister. So my sister always talks about how when we were little, she saw Santa deliver presents to us. She says everyone was asleep when she saw him. She only saw his boots, pants, and heard his bells, but she says it was for sure him because of the gifts. Everybody says it was my grandpa, but he always says she's mistaken and he never dressed as Santa. That morning, I snuck into my grandparents' room looking for any traces of a Santa suit. I even checked every corner of the house. Nothing. I believe it wasn't him because I could remember seeing only a fat, small figure for about two seconds until falling back asleep. My grandpa's six foot three and the figure had to be five eight to five ten. To this day, I still don't know what happened that night. And to be honest, I don't want to know because it still scares me a little. Just adding that neither of us have a mental disorder, nor does our family have any history of mental disorders. Okay, good. They got that out of the way. Even though his name is Balthazar. Balthazar has stopped speaking. <laughs> I think that I would consider that kind of a fourth kind, which I'm going to get into like right here. Okay. So obviously we're coming to a close of the encounter scale, which is the fourth Santa kind, which is experiencing a transformation of senses of reality, including abduction, missing time, dreamlike feelings, and also include non-abduction cases where absurd, hallucinatory, or dreamlike events are encountered. Something that happens quite a lot in these is people falling right asleep after their encounters which we saw in yours. So I guess that was a very nice transition. Yeah, it was. It included one of the um, qualities of a fourth kind. So first one, witness was quite young, but this had stuck with her since it happened. The evening her aunt had been visiting and was using her bed so she was sleeping on the floor. The child witness is tossing and turning when at about 2.30 a.m. she noticed a dim glow coming from under the door to her room. So she gets up and looks into the hallway. There she sees a figure standing in the doorway with a mystical, magical glow around him. He was Santa, surrounded by a glittering silver and gold haze. He looks right at her and spoke without moving his mouth. Now you know you are supposed to be asleep while I'm here, don't you? She didn't want to be on the naughty list, so responds that she can't sleep. Santa says, go pretend, to which she goes and falls immediately to sleep. As an adult, she can't figure out the glitter that surrounded him, like in the air around him, during the encounter. And while she says it could be a dream, she remembers the details perfectly. End encounter there by the child witness. Next child witness up, Michelle. 
she wakes up Christmas Eve and walked out of her room, down the hall, down the steps to the living room where she saw a man in red with the whole red getup by the Christmas tree. She tried to figure out who it was in disguise, but she didn't recognize the person or the voice. He smiled at her and told her it was time to go back to bed. She suddenly felt very sleepy and said, okay. He carried her up the stairs and placed her in front of her door and said, get some sleep. Her parents swear up and down that it was not them and she still questions what happened. So last story I have of the fourth kind, eight or nine years old. This is child Andy, (laughs) the witness. Child Andy wakes up Christmas morning and even though he's not allowed out of his bed yet, he makes his way out anyway. Walked to the bedroom door towards the steps and says he doesn't remember walking down the steps. He just kind of floated down. As he was floating down, he saw the Christmas tree and his sister talking to a man next to it who happened to be wearing a red suit and had a white beard. It was Santa. All of a sudden, he's running towards Santa to give him a hug and Santa showed off the presents and said, go back to bed, which they did. He later woke up in his bed confused about what happened. Years later, I don't think it was a lot of years, as I just emphasized. I think it was a couple years later. Andy works up the cojones to ask his sister if she ever recalled anything weird happening on Christmas. She says, I do remember hearing a noise and getting out of bed. Then I remember waking up in my bed a few hours later, which is creepy. And that ends the close encounters of the fourth kind for me. Do you have anything? I do have one, yeah. And it was posted on Reddit in 2016 by a user by the name of Vemnox. I've been holding on to this for 25 years in my 30s now, and this happened when I was seven. I've only told this story to my parents and to my wife, namely because of the overwhelming fear of pure doubt and skepticism. But I was inspired by a 2014 post by Person1031, along with commenters, user Jackster, user Uncommon Rider, user SF Dual. You know what? I'm just going to skip. There's many different users. Okay. And so many more onto the story. I was seven years old in 1990 and spending Christmas as usual at my grandparents' house. Normally, I slept in my own room there, but as a child, I never, ever slept on Christmas night. Out of excitement, so my grandparents let me sleep in the bed in between them. We went to bed around 10 a.m. And as usual, I was just laying there wide awake. It says 10 a.m. I think he means 10 p.m. I was just laying there wide awake. A little while later, I hear distinct heavy footprints walk into the room along with light sounds of bells. Now the room was very dark at the time, so I could only make out the unmistakable shape of Santa out of the corner of my eyes. I was laying on my right side at the time, facing my grandfather's back. My grandpa always been the loudest snorer in the world, and this time was no exception. Petrified, frozen, and pretending to be asleep, I just laid there for what seemed to be an eternity. Almost silently, the figure moved from the foot of the bed to the side that my grandfather was on. Every time he snored thereon, the distinct glove of Santa patted him gently, and the hand looked like this. He has posted a photo. But I don't want to show you out of fear of it freezing everything up because we've been having connection issues. Okay. This went on for maybe half a dozen pats. Then the figure moved again to the foot of the bed. This figure gestured slightly, and the next thing I knew, I was passed out, fast asleep till the morning. Now I'm the first person to discount a story like this with a, yeah, okay, buddy. So let me myth bust a few things. 
Was it your dad? My dad was not nearly the size of the figure. Moreover, he was never, ever the type to do something like this, even for a child. Could it have been a family friend dressed as Santa? I guess, but it would have been the most unusual time for a Santa to come in late at night, long after everyone is legit asleep and in the pitch black. Don't you think they'd have wanted their friends to come when they could actually see my reaction when I was awake? Finally, that would have been the most insanely elaborate costume ever. Could it have been a dream? Absolutely not. I was wide awake and there was far too much detail. Could it have been some sort of hallucination or a topa? Possibly. What did your parents or grandparents have to say about it? My grandparents had no recollection as they were fast asleep. They, along with my father, were all sarcastically sure he appeared buddy to me. My mother, on the other hand, still believes me to this day because she coincidentally had the exact same occurrence when she was seven and said she saw Santa. What? Look, I'm embarrassed to even post this because I know the modern image of Santa is largely driven by pop culture. I'm a father myself, now of three kids, so I do all the Christmas grunt work. But I still maintain that that one Christmas, I saw something or someone that looked like Santa. Thank you for listening to the one and only time I will probably ever publicly tell this story. Merry Christmas to everyone on Paranormal. That was a really creepy story. And he brings up a good point that like, why when everyone's asleep, would someone do that? That's the worst time because you're not going to get a video or a story out of it at all. Yeah. For anyone else. And why would he like touch his grandpa as he was snoring? Yeah. And why would the grandparents be like, you're not sleeping at all tonight. Come in our bed. <laughs> between us well that might be the normal thing but something i find so interesting with these stories and it doesn't come up in like the hollywood manufacturing of christmas is santa just has this power to say go to bed and like the kid immediately gets tired yeah for the most part this just appears to be something that happens with actual sightings of something happening paranormal so in that way it's super creepy we think of santa being so like jolly and happy and you bring up a good point he's working hard that night maybe he's not that jolly christmas eve because he's like working so hard flying all over the world and he literally is like 24 hours of straight work and not easy work either like it i is... mean he's flying all over the world he's not doing it even in a logical way that's gonna save the most time some people don't even have chimneys how the fuck do you do this and yeah again not going door to door going from one house and immediately flying off to another area only to come back to the neighbor. yeah like... maybe it's the only way so they can do it but i definitely found these stories interesting i didn't know that there were real life santa sightings but it only i don't even know that it only makes sense it's like one of those weird things tulpas make sense creatures when we read these last third and fourth kind encounters it does seem like it's creatures taking advantage and appearing in a way that they would be potentially accepted there were other theories i just wasn't generally interested in them just as far as like dimensional things but I don't like them because Santa's like a social construct. So yeah. And at the same time, this is just meant to be a Christmas episode. So we're not going to dive into those portions of yeah. it at this time. These are good enough stories. Do you have anything left to add? Because I have one story to leave us off on. I just want to add at this point, if you are listening to us on the opening day, Christmas Eve, you can always check out NORAD to see where Santa is throughout the night. For, as we mentioned earlier, NORAD tracks Santa in his journey throughout the evening. I do doubt somewhat how NORAD tracks it because they say that he stays within a city and then moves on to the next. 
which clearly is just not how Santa works. Yeah, he goes city back to other city. I think he's they're just giving a general idea where he is. So we're there. And of course, big air traffic control is not going to want you to know where he's at either. So yeah, as we found out on this episode. To end with, the Apollo 8 mission launched December 21st, 1968 to orbit the moon, which is was there Christmas Eve to circle the moon 10 times, losing contact when they circled around the dark side of the moon. The last circle around the moon, they were to fire the engines to be catapulted from the moon's gravitational pull, which was very tricky. And those minutes or hours that they lost contact on the dark side, I'm not sure how long it would have been, were very tense because they weren't sure if it was going to work or not. And everybody was waiting back on Earth. And as the world awaited, this conversation ensued. Houston, Apollo 8, over. Hello, Apollo 8. Last clear. Roger. Please be informed there is a Santa Claus. Okay, that's all I'm going to play. So, if you heard there, that was the Apollo saying that there is a Santa Claus. Some suspect that this is probably a code for UFOs or extraterrestrials, or maybe just a nice holiday greeting, but I thought it was a nice piece of audio to end with on this episode of Santa Claus. Yes, and I do agree with you. For those of you listening to us prior to Christmas Day, thank you for listening and enjoying our journey through the cosmic endeavor that is Christian and Christmas lore. Uh, It really is a cosmic gumbo of eclectic adventures. Some happy, some not so much. But at the end of the day, this is our big weird world of the holly, the jolly, the Christmassy. And for some reason, the birth of a baby and some very smart men bringing him spices. Yeah. Oh, that would be delicious. I don't know for a baby. Yeah, they're probably for the parents. They never actually mentioned that. They probably were for the parents. Yeah, it's always for, well, it's not always for the parents, but what baby needs spice? No baby. Not even Jesus. And I think that's the end of our Christmas journey. Yes. Stay tuned for there is still one more episode left in the year. We will keep that a bit of a surprise for now even though that we have referenced it in many episodes coming up to this now. But for the meantime, I have been Taylor. I have been Chelsea. And we are here wishing you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, and a very merry journey to the Fringe with us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review, as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes, or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode.